Standard Issue for all women. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Standard Issue podzine. I'm Mickey Noonan and I'm a Londoner now. <laughs> that is how we all talk, yeah. FYI. <laughs> I'm Hannah Dunleavy and like all women, I'm 100% in love with Megan Rapino. I would totally love a poster of her on my wall. She is amazing. She's incredible. I'm Jen Offord and are we really calling that a heatwave? Yeah, it was fucking hot. It's yeah. one day. That's not a heat wave. That's one day. It's a tiny wave. It's a it's heat gesture. <laughs> it's a heat finger. It's different, mate. It's different. Yeah. It's yeah. too rude for this podcast. Later on, we chat to actress, writer and founder of No Bullshit Beauty blog, The Trowel, Rebecca Humphreys, about the joy of makeup and what it's like in the eye of a media shitstorm. I talked to comedian Kate McCabe about the race to see who will face Trump in the next US election. Can it be my fist? (laughs) In Jenny Off the Blocks, I'm chatting to netball legend Sarah Bayman about the forthcoming Netball World Cup. And in Dunleavy Does Dystopia, we're off to Beck's Hill with Children of Men. The good news is we can all afford a house there now. (laughs) The bad news, well, we'll get to that. But first, toilet dwellers, body paint and Mau Mau. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, where we look at the news like Christine Lagarde looks at Ivanka Trump. <laughs> it has been a great week for violence against women. Hooray! Hooray! We're cheering because the mainstream media and various Tory MPs have told us it is absolutely fine and nothing to worry our pretty little heads about. Because what goes on behind closed doors is nobody else's business and, think sheeple, she could have had a grenade in that handbag. I am, of course, referring to two incidents that happened last week. One, the police being called to the home of Boris Johnson and his partner Carrie Simmons after neighbours heard a loud altercation involving screaming, shouting and banging. And two, Mark Field, Foreign Office Minister for Asia and the Pacific, aggressively grabbing a female Greenpeace peaceful protester by the scruff of her neck. Excuses poured out of Tory HQ like hot liquid shit from a gaping anus. And not even that imagery is as disgusting as the self-serving vindications for violence spewing from the likes of Johnny Mercer MP, Nadine Doris MP, Alison Pearson, Julie Hartley Brewer and a whole toilet full of the usual floaters. Field has been suspended as a Foreign Office Minister and the Cabinet Office is investigating whether he's broken the ministerial code. Would-be Prime Minister Johnson has dodged all questions regarding what happened before the cops came knocking. But... Without wishing to belittle that situation, it's the notion that Johnson's nosy neighbours were the real problem, which is a very serious matter. It is the business of all of us to end male violence against women. Get it wrong, and yes, you might piss someone off. Get it right, and you'll save a life. To discourage people from reporting suspected domestic violence to the police is beyond irresponsible. So if you are worried about a neighbour, a friend, a relative, or indeed yourself, Get on the blower to either the police or the free 24-hour domestic violence helpline on 0808 2000 247. Finally, none of this is a good look for the Conservatives, a party whose female MPs comprise only 21% of the total, whose policies disproportionately disadvantage women and whose candidates for leader, more on that shit show later, seem to all share some sort of anti-female sentiment. What a time to be a woman! Meanwhile, in America... Trump faced yet another serious sexual allegation when journalist E. Jean Carroll became the latest woman to accuse the president. 
stating he had forced himself on her in a changing room in New York's Bergdorf Goodman department store in the 1990s. Shocked? Well, brace yourself, because the Laco surprise kept coming, as the second-tier Gibbon responded by saying she was totally lying. And I feel the need to point out they are his exact words, because they are also the words I'd have paraphrased with, given that he speaks like he's midway through a lobotomy. He also said that Carol wasn't his type, which joins the great pantheon of other Trump denials. Look at her, I don't think so. And believe me, she wouldn't be my first choice. Again, to be depressingly clear, they are his exact words. And the reaction of his party, the Republicans? Yeah, just make up your own shit. It's likely to be correct. What a time to be a woman. Oh, my God. Well, a brief break from politics to bring you news of a couple of big weeks for Kim Kardashian as she launched not one, but two new product lines designed to help women present themselves. First up, her KKW beauty brand's body makeup, so you can now spend nine hours getting ready every day as you painstakingly cover literally every inch of your imperfections. Awesome. Okay, if you want to point out that you don't actually have to buy this shit, then yes, I agree with you, and I certainly won't be, despite being a big fan of makeup. Kardashian said she created the range due to her own psoriasis scars, which she's like, totes okay with, but occasionally wants to cover up. And fair play to her, that is her business. But I do sort of resent the implication that other people should want to. I have matching scars on my shins. They're from when Charlton Athletic won the playoff final at Wembley and two dudes fell on top of me. I have a massive scar on my knee from when I fell off my bike in Tennessee and a woman drove me to Nashville and taught me to line dance. Imperfections are a lot more interesting than perfection, if you want my humble opinion. And the message here is all wrong. The message, unfortunately, largely reaching young women and girls is that there may be yet another part of your aesthetic that you need to fix. But Jen, I'm busy fixing all the other things that are wrong with me. You've got to find time, Mickey. Okay, if Kim says. Meanwhile, Kardashian went on to piss off all of Japan by naming her new shapewear range Kimono, presumably because it has Kim in it? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Well, what probably seemed like a terrific idea at the time went down like a ton of lead balloons as the world accused her again of cultural appropriation. Even the mayor of Kyoto, Dosaku Kadokawa, got in on the action, writing to the reality TV star to say the traditional cultural garment should not be monopolised. He missed a trick there. It could have been should not be monopolised. Maybe it's because it's really hard to say. Possibly. Kardashian released a statement in response to the furore, explaining that the name of her mass-produced line was a nod to the beauty and detail of the production of a traditional kimono. So, while she has no plans to change the name, she's obviously really understood the issue here. Speaking of thundering wazzocks, the UK continues to face the binary choice of death or Mau Mau in the <laughs> Conservative leadership contest, which trundles on like a wine crate bus, with the words £350 million for the NHS on one side and a picture of a dead cat on the other. While Boris Johnson fails to answer seemingly simple questions like... What are your plans for Brexit? <laughs> and when was that photograph taken? Jeremy Hunt, the Stan Valchek of the Tory party, shambles around the country. No, I just can't. By the end of the month, we will either have a Prime Minister who can tell people without shame that he's going to destroy their livelihoods with Brexit, or a Prime Minister who lacks the courage or decency to publicly acknowledge all his children. Where are you, monkey overlords? Where the fuck are you? I'm going to choose cherries. 
That's my male male. Because <laughs> they're only really small, aren't they? Because they're only really small, yeah. I think that Jeremy Hunt becoming Prime Minister is the comedy twist that this tale deserves. I really do. I mean, if it's got to be one of these two pricks, at least that's sort of funny. I would personally rather it was Jeremy Hunt. He's just not Boris Johnson. And I just, there's something about Boris Johnson's seeming attitude that he deserves this that makes me not want him to have it. I don't think there's something about it as as much as there is everything about it. Yeah. (laughs) Who rescued him off that zip wire? Do we have a name? (laughs) (laughs) But what in sweet, sweating Jesus is happening with Brexit, I hear you scream? No one knows. But a YouGov survey has given us a glimpse into the minds of Conservative Party members. Everyone got their seventh circle of hell, Max, on? Permanently. In we go. It appears that for many, and by many, I mean somewhere between 54 and 61% of them, would rather see the economy damaged than not have Brexit. They would rather have Northern Ireland and Scotland leave the Union than not have Brexit and even have the Tory party, that's their own party, destroyed, the not have Brexit. Are they mishearing? Do they think it's about breakfast? (laughs) (laughs) Shivering shitballs, is there nothing these people hold sacred? Well, actually, surprisingly, yes. And it's not, would you rather do your own vasectomy in a Hollister than not have Brexit? Because 51% of them would be prepared to forego leaving the EU if it meant Jeremy Corbyn wasn't Prime Minister. Well, the bad news for them is that Labour look really, really electable right now, Uh, are we? Meanwhile, over at Labour HQ, there was dissent amongst the ranks, just for a change. Labour bigwig, sorry, Unite leader Len McCluskey, urged the party to chillax over Brexit on Sunday during an interview on the BBC's Andrew Marr show. Again, it does sound like he meant breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking about a shadow cabinet meeting last week in which no agreement was made about the best course of action, leading to Corbyn announcing that he would consult unions and others before reaching a decision, McCluskey said the party needn't rush to change their position on Brexit, if indeed it has one. Uh He said, There's no panic to do anything. Let Jeremy Corbyn consult. He's done okay so far. Let's trust him to consult and see what emerges. What what has he done? He's done okay so far, Mick. Okay. As if there had been no clear message thus far from the local elections, from the European elections, from protests, from marches and opinion polls, and as if they'd not had three fucking years to come up with anything better than a consultation. Over on Sky's Sophie Ridge show, Shadow Chancellor John MacDonald failed to confirm or deny that he had described his party's Brexit policy as, and I quote, a slow-motion car crash. Instead saying, what I've been trying to say is, we need to move now. And Jeremy said a month ago, we're going to put this issue back to the people. I fully agree. Yeah. Mm. Plus, Chris Williamson. Yeah. You're not making me want to vote for your Labour. No one's making me want to vote for them Well, that's kind of the problem, isn't it? Mm. What this country needs is a general election. But yet, I don't know who the fuck to vote for. Anyway. I'm sorry, I had the hood up on my seventh circle of hell, Mac. <laughs> I don't want to listen anymore. Would anybody like some good news? Oh, yes, please. Well, one, a dog just walked past the window, which hey, is yeah. very good news. It's called Neville, and, by the way. <laughs> it's called Neville the dog. And two, it's a tip of the shared standard issue hat to journalist and brilliantly gobby mayor Suzanne Moore, who has won the Orwell Prize for Journalism thanks to her, quote, stubborn and brave commentary on the aftermath of Brexit, me Too and the Politics of Remembrance. 
The Orwell Prize is awarded for commentary or reporting that comes closest to the writer George Orwell's ambition to make political writing into an art. So bravo that woman. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where we go deep south into sexism, because, yep, we're back in Alabama, where a woman, Marche Jones, who was shot in the stomach, resulting in the death of her fetus, five months, was indicted on a manslaughter charge. The reason? She started the dispute that led to her getting shot. Marche, 28, from Birmingham, was five months pregnant when Ebony Jemison, 23, shot her during an argument in December. Police initially charged Jemison with manslaughter, but an Alabama grand jury indicted Jones instead after a police investigation reveals she started the fight and that Jamison fired in self-defence. Jamison walked free. As we record, Alabama officials are, quote, undecided on whether to prosecute Marche or not. This is all fucked up part and shitting awful parcel of the recent addition of fetuses and embryos to Alabama's personhood law. So I'm not going to pad this out any further. I'm just going to say Gilead is coming and leave it there. Oh, hey there, people of Canterbury, people near Canterbury, and people with weekend access to Canterbury. We're bloody coming for you, in the nicest possible way, of course. That's right, our next live event is at the Marlowe Theatre in Canterbury on Sunday the 21st of July, when we're joined by the always excellent Scummy Mummies, Helen Thorne and Ellie Gibson, and socio-political powerhouse Kimar Bob for an hour of fierceness and funnies as part of the Marlowe Comedy Festival. It's going to be mint, and you can get tickets via our website, www.standardissuepodcast.com or by going to the What's On section of marlowtheatre.com. Come see us. Let us see you. Yes. We are here in the studio with actor, writer and beauty blogger Rebecca Humphreys. Hello. Hello. Hi, Hi Rebecca. Hi. I took a gulp of water there, so I think I gulped at the word writer. Like, ooh. <laughs> like she's a what? <laughs> A woman doing writing. <laughs> Never heard of such thing. <laughs> Before we get on to the beauty blogging, what's new on the uh, the rest of it front, the acting front? Have you got anything coming up? Actually, yeah, it's just been announced, so I can stop telling people not to tell anyone, that I'm going to be in a new BBC Two comedy drama called Trigonometry, which I think is coming out like in December or November or something. I think it's quite good, you know. It's about a polyamorous <laughs> relationship. I mean, that sounds surprised, <laughs> but I do think it is really good. It's about a polyamorous relationship, and it's a rom-com, really, about all the things that are right about that situation, which I think is interesting because lots of people, you know, look over that kind of relationship with a cynical eye, myself included, actually, and about the kind of knock-on effect that that has among their family and friends. Oh, mm. who's written it? A guy called Duncan McMillan and Effie Woods. Duncan, I know because he's a playwright. He wrote a play called People, Places and Things, which was on the West End a couple of years ago. And his partner Effie as well so the two of them have written it and I'm not sure how much of it draws from their actual experiences Amazing. but there are definitely elements of it that ring true for them it's yeah it's, I think it's great they're beautiful writers we're here today to talk about the trowel yeah which is your new website that's right so tell us some more about that but it's not actually that new anymore I suddenly <coughs> realized that it's been nine months uh, that it's been up and running which is quite surprising how quickly the time has flown to be honest the website is an honest beauty website that takes products that cost 
five quid or a hundred quid, but gives honest reviews about whether your money is going to be well spent by purchasing these things. And sometimes, you know, you can buy something that's seven ninety nine and it's rubbish, but sometimes you can buy something that is fifty nine ninety five and is actually it's actually really good and sort of not very comparable to anything else, mm-hmm. and vice versa. So we just try and take these things and and sort of break it down for everyone. It's billed as a no bullshit beauty blog. I would like to know what you consider the bullshit in the beauty industry. I grew up in a family that just like was a huge product buyer. Like my mum really likes products. And I used to, you know, when I was a kid, a teenager that, you know, you'd find me snaffling the testers in Superdrug of a weekend, you know, and. And I was always super duped by anything that had the word new on the front of it or improved formula or collagen biospheres or any of these things. And (laughs) the whole thing, you know, would really excite me because ultimately it was a... It, it was sort of sold on the basis of, of being patronising and actually being lofty and saying, we don't understand what this is, but I can tell you that it's it's good for you. And trust me, I'm a scientist. And so a lot of money was wasted on these products that actually weren't good for me. I didn't have very good skin up until about I was about 25 because I was really buying into this kind of industry. And the older I got and the more money I started earning, the more I could afford to spend on products that made even bolder claims. And so I just kind of got really swept up in the whole thing. And then it took, I guess it took just getting older and a bit wiser to take a step back and realise that actually a load of it's bullshit. A little bit of research goes a really long way in terms of what really works and what doesn't. And I started chatting about it with my friend Claire, who's a huge beauty fan. I mean, she knows so much about the industry, so much about products. And we just really had this kind of fierce opinion in common that women kind of needed to needed to become aware that actually it's mostly crap. <laughs> you know, it really is. I mean, you'll go into the Liberty Beauty Rooms, which is, you know, my favourite place <laughs> in London, and look at some of the back of the packagings and some of the things that they say. I mean, some of the, the claims are just you have a proper read of it and you think actually that doesn't even make grammatical sense you know like one mascara that promises endless lashes and it's like <laughs> they're just going to get in the way yeah, yeah exactly that's horribly inconvenient and yeah. also clearly bollocks but we've just become so accustomed to not even really looking at what these things are trying to say or just kind of buying into it because it's expensive or because it's shiny or because it's the one that you used to use, but now it's allegedly better and five quid more expensive. So, yeah, that's kind of what, what where it all came from, I guess. It's a very manipulative industry, isn't it? When it's focusing on women, which is the majority of it, mm-hmm. it basically tells us what's wrong with us. But don't worry, we have made a product to fix that. Absolutely, yeah. It's built on fear. It's manipulation. It's actually built on fear. Like, I'm, if I'm not careful, then sun damage is going to age me 10 years by the time I'm 35 that I've got under eye bags and puffiness and dark circles, which are all different things. And there are all different products for all of those things as well. Crow's feet. All of these different things that are basically instilling enough fear into me that means that I can go and buy something to help. And so much of it just doesn't do anything. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because one of the things, I mean, I'm not saying that I look great for my age by any stretch of the imagination, but one of the things that people often say to me is that I've got great skin. And I yeah. think, <laughs> what the fuck? I never looked after it. I've lived in the sunny, I lived in Australia for a year, never even wore sun cream. 
I'm not saying any of these are a good idea. I smoke. So <laughs> are you I... trying to get a guest spot on the blog? <laughs> <laughs> no, so I think what I'm kind of saying is I think that like you are what you are. Jeans do have a yeah. big, a they, big what job kind of that was, yeah. I think that's yeah. what I was groping mm. around for. So I thought you just it. wanted to tell us how amazing your skin <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's the vibe to me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, yeah. No, I think that you're right, though. I think that, like, jeans come into play quite a lot when it comes to skincare and, and just kind of, like, oh, good hair yeah. or, like, long legs or just the way it does with any, any way that you look. And I think that the thing that I like about products and that the trial tends to gear towards isn't necessarily like this will make you look better it's like this is actually an enjoyable experience yeah. for you this is kind of an experiential product what, that you can spend money on and it smells beautiful and actually makes you feel better about yourself and it's kind of more about that the trial really so there's quite a lot of different people out there in the world at the moment sort of blogging and vlogging about makeup and beauty stuff I fucking love makeup and I Me follow too. a few of them <laughs> and you have some who are like professional makeup artists who you kind of like yeah I trust you know your stuff and you wouldn't want to damage your reputation by just being bought by whoever but then there are now like a squillion little girls uh-huh. on Instagram who clearly just think they're going to be famous or, or whatever. Sure. And they're obviously being sent loads of shit. Are all those people being bought, basically, by the, the beauty industry? To what degree can you sort of trust? It's hard to say, really. I mean, as soon as we piped up and said, listen, we're here to talk about stuff in a really down-to-earth, approachable manner, and we're going to be really honest about things as well, we were flooded inundated with people that wanted to give us their products and gift us their products as well Mm. and yeah there's bribery involved in that because ultimately because we're good people as well and because we have a you know a sense of responsibility we don't want to slag that off if you've been kind enough you know to gift your product to us so we just say no like we want to be able to be impartial and the only way to do that is to actually the products and it gives us license because we bought it so of course if it doesn't work we're going to be able to say it. don't actually take the freebies no, from them. No, that's, we haven't taken freebies. I think that's very significant in terms of what else it, is out the there. The only freebies that we've taken are the ones that are products that we have championed already. And then they so, say do you want something you're like yes please. Yeah and we're like yeah we will actually and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really important because yeah. that's I mean that's how uh, restaurant reviews are generally done yeah, in the media. When I worked at Metro, that's exactly how we did it. It you came out of your on. pocket. Yeah. And, and then, then you can say what you like. And you then paid the boss, oh. well, the, the paper refunded the money, obviously. Yeah. What? No, they didn't. <laughs> um, because I think the point is as well, unless you've actually spent money on something, mm-hmm. you don't have the investment of the expectation yeah. that this is something that's come out of your pocket. There's the difference between this and if you want to buy a, some, some, what, a face cream that costs £50, maybe that's the difference between having that and having like a TV subscription or something yeah. that month. Mm. So you actually expect something from it. Absolutely. There's a sense as well that when we're doing the reviews, you know, we're all in the same boat as the people that are reading the reviews. It's like we know how much of a chunk this comes out of our yeah. livelihoods. And as such, like, we are going to be say to you, look, this costs 100 quid and it claims to change your face and it doesn't. Yeah. So you're best off not because we made that yeah. mistake and we don't want you to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But by the same token as well, it's like this costs a tenner we bought it and we can't sing its praises highly enough so all go out and buy it because you know there's a real sort of satisfaction that comes with that and oh, yeah. yeah bargains oh Gotta yeah love a bargain it's great actually we just really recently did well claire did she's amazing you know I'll, I'll i'm the one that will always like you know go on about drunk elephant or something that costs 50 quid a pop 
and Claire will do this huge article about the best things to buy from Superdrug all under £6. Super, <laughs> Superdrug is knocking it out of the park That's with their yeah, skincare. Yeah. It's really good. Really? And it's all cruelty-free as well. Which yeah, it's is really all cruelty-free. It's all vegan. Yeah. So go on then. What has been your big surprise that you've been like, oh my God, this is amazing? Well, because I'm an actress as well, like I've spent a lot of time sitting in makeup chairs and with a lot of different makeup artists. So the experience, I guess, that I come from is going from job to job and seeing these things that crop up time and time again and also I then see it on camera so I've kind of got that luxury of going oh that actually really worked because I'd been out until three the night before and I look <laughs> like a human being in this particular shot and the ones that I guess the ones that come up time and time again on sets are things like Elnet just classic old Elnet I yeah. got told on my first ever job which was an, a boots advert back in the day by this guy called Jamie, who was my first ever makeup artist that did the Spice Girls tour, the one before last. Always use Elnet. He was like, don't even question it. Always use it. It's the only one that brushes out. And I stuck by it ever since. It's a great hairspray. $2.99? $3.99? I think it's about $4.99 now. It has gone up a bit. They've got those ones that um, absolutely, you know, look fire extinguishers. You can buy them for like (laughs) six quid. Don't use them as a fire extinguisher. That would be bad. (laughs) I always use a The Ordinary foundation now. Love The Ordinary. Really good. The serum foundation is amazing. Although I think in this kind of heat, actually, it makes you look a bit sweaty. But that's it's glowy. It. Glowy. Mm. glowy. Yeah, there's a fine line, isn't there? <laughs> oh, the Real Techniques brushes. Real Techniques are great, yeah. Yeah, the brushes are absolutely amazing. And I spent an absolute fortune in places like Mac and Bobby Brown and NARS on brushes because I thought it would make me good at makeup. And actually, on my last job on Trigonometry... My makeup artist was like, don't even bother. Just go and get these. They're often buy and get on half price. They're yeah. really good. And there's they're, Sam and Nick well, Chapman who are makeup artists anyway, and they've designed them. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Really accessible. This is like shopping in Lidl, as in I can, I can understand what's happening. But, but it's I just all don't in German. Why is <laughs> Hannah in the corner just covered in continental meats? <laughs> It looks like something I recognise, but it's German. (laughs) Why have I bought a lawnmower? I didn't come in for this. (laughs) Can we chat a little bit about the story that went absolutely nuts last year? Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course we can. How is your cat? He's great. He's suffering immeasurably in this heat wave. Poor old thing. He's got the most beautiful, like... Dr. Shivago fur coat that he wears every single day and it's now like and it's now you know it's, it's, it's like having one of those fur coats that you can never take off well the poor old thing like he just he, you know he sees this sort of like bit of sunlight and thinks oh that's quite fun lying in the sun we'll go over and just flop in it then he just gets absolutely knackered and can't move and I had to sort of drag him by his hind legs like around to a cooler spot poor old thing I think he got the better end of the deal though getting to stay with you yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> Were you surprised by the reaction of other women and and other men as well who came out in solidarity after what happened with Sean Walsh and Strictly Come Dancing and everything that kicked off for your life back then? I mean, surprised doesn't even cover it by half. I mean, it was was a a sort of a shock, which sounds negative, but actually it was like such a galvanising shock <laughs> it was like an electric storm you know like a it was, love shock all this love that came out yeah for you. it was it was you know it was like being in the middle of a storm with my hair whipping about and and you know feeling completely secure and supported in the middle of it all it was unbelievable actually yeah I don't think you know it's it's a funny thing because I've been asked about it before and I guess that it's hard to describe and also because it's happened to me, you know, you just assume it's a feeling that other people are going to understand. 
where in fact not many people know what it's like to be in the middle of a media storm. I'm always trying to find ways to articulate it in, in a way that's clear, but in fact, it's, there's lots about it that is, is really unique and quite difficult to, to get my head around, really, even now. It felt like when you put your statement out, it felt like it was for you, so you'd said something and you'd drawn a line and, like, this is what's happened. But people saw it as a call to arms, as a solidarity. And... Yeah, I mean, very much so. When I... I'm really glad you said that, actually, because that's exactly what it was. You know, it was something that I think that, if I may, <laughs> what sort of happened was the front pages were released on the Saturday night before the following day. And so that's when I found out about what had happened and about what was, you know, going to happen. And I felt this impending sense of, oh, this is going to be big. And I, I, mean, I didn't even realise to the extent that it did become. But I felt very quickly... The following day when I started getting phone calls from pretty much everyone that I knew and lots of people that I hadn't heard from in a really long time who just wanted me to know that they cared about me and loved me. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, it's very, it's actually, um, you know, really overwhelming. Uh, I, I felt like a massive sense of relief almost instantly because for me that was just a line drawn under everything mm -hmm. that had happened in the relationship. Like, perhaps for the last two years, it was very much the final straw, and I knew that that, that was it. Like, there's absolutely no way that I'm ever going back there yeah. again. And with that came a sense of freedom that I could talk about things that had happened within the relationship with the people who were really close to me that I had spent a lot of time and effort trying to hide from them. Yeah. Um, for a really long time and it was exhausting you know it was almost like admin I almost like had a spreadsheet of things that I had told different people been really careful about not telling two people the same thing lest they should get together and discuss it and like cause an intervention yeah. um, so being able to talk freely to everyone and for my best friend to turn around to me he said that's gaslighting yeah, put a label on it that means it makes everything else make sense. Yeah, and he put a label on it and I had thought that <laughs> and I had ignored it for a really long time in like in my own sort of little, you know, little chamber that I had created for myself. And um, and to hear someone else say it, I was like, oh, my God, even that that word being said, I, I was like, I feel a real responsibility to myself now to articulate that and use my voice for my own sake publicly because I was being contacted in among all of the friends relatives ex-colleagues who were all getting in touch with me because they've seen these front pages I'm also getting lots of phone numbers that I don't recognize from media outlets who are offering me <laughs> money that like which I've never even heard of to do features and spreads and to have my point of view put across and you know I'm relatively savvy as a person and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm within the industry as well. So I kind of knew that there was only one person I could truly trust and that was myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was an absolute no brainer to turn all those things down. Whatever I, I had to say or whatever anyone they contacted that knew me could possibly have to say was going to be made into a story at some point. They were really manoeuvring me into a narrative that was wronged woman, the angel, if you like, to Katya's sort of 
sex siren over there like and you know I'm not like that I'm so much more than just this woman who was dressed all in white in the Strictly studio crying because her boyfriend did a good job dancing the Paso Doble you know I'm I'm more than that and that narrative was just too boring as far yeah. as I was concerned. Yeah, too narrow, way too narrow. Too narrow, too boring. It's not representative. I knew that I had been, to, you know, for want of a better phrase, and I don't really like this phrase and I'm working through it at the moment, a victim of gaslighting. And actually it felt quite important to represent myself as all of the things that I am for other people who are perhaps also a victim of that so that they don't think, well, I'm not that kind of woman. I'm, I'm strong and I'm funny and I'm articulate. How can that possibly be happening to me? Well, the reason gaslighting goes on for so long in most cases of it is because it's really fucking successful. It's yeah. really... Oh. Yeah. And it's one of those things where people don't... People will say, oh, you know, it's not like a guy deliberately says, oh, I will sit down to gaslight her. Absolutely you know, it's not. Like, it's, it's just the way it works. And it's just people trying to... Get out get, of a situation they've get made. Get their own way. Yeah. That's yeah. right, absolutely. But, like, I totally understand that, or I feel as though, I mean, I, I think that it is more nuanced than what I'm about to say, but I totally get that it is a defence mechanism and it comes from a place of vulnerability, which I spoke about at the time, and, and a panic and a fear, ultimately, to make someone else question themselves in order to facilitate your bad behaviour. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Like, that's what that is. But that doesn't mean that it's right and that doesn't no. mean that any person has to put up with it absolutely um, and as such it's really it felt really important for me to speak out in my own defense and what was the shock that I mentioned earlier was that by speaking this really really personal account and saying to my friends before I released it on social media which you know I went back and forth about quite a lot to be honest I said to them we have to be prepared that this is going to get 50 likes from my friends and maybe a couple of retweets. Oh, like, <laughs> I really did. You know, my friends, Sam and Claire, I, I can see them sitting there on the sofa as I told them this. And they were like, yeah, OK. I said, the fact that I'm going to do it anyway, despite me believing that is why I have to do it, because I have to do it for myself. And then, of course, what happened happened. And the shock came from people relating so closely to it. Yeah. From you know, from everywhere. Lots of people in the public eye privately got in touch with me and said that they had experienced the same thing and yeah. that they hoped I was okay. And and then, you know, and people that, from my own life as well, people from, like, ex-colleagues and relatives as well, saying, well, you didn't realise this but because you were very young, but that happened to me. And it just it just created this real wave, I think, of kindness and yeah. compassion yeah. actually well you did what your friend did to you by calling out as gaslighting you did for thousands and thousands of other people because they could recognize that situation yeah so thank you bra fucking vote <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well the funny thing is as well is that i was really really careful in that statement to not use the word the term gaslighting yeah. and the reason that i did that dare i say <laughs> is because I knew that if I called it out as that, that Sean would never believe that's what it was. And I think lots of men wouldn't either because I would have looked like an erratic woman who was making accusations. So I was really careful in this in this thing to only outline exactly what happened. That particular night, I was like, this is what happened. This is where I was. This is where he was. This is what he called me and labelled it in a way that was completely... Well, there's no argument. Like That's exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. And so when I put it out, it was actually, it was the, the world and the media and lots of 
you know, May, intelligent. I think, <laughs> I, think <laughs> yeah. I called it gaslighting when I retweeted it. And everyone else did. Yeah. So the fact that everyone else had, like highlighted it meant that it spread further than if I had said it myself, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, because I guess if, you know, I'd, how how many retweets? Like a squillion billion people I mean, saying all, this all is I gaslighting. Know, all I can say is I spoke to you briefly on Twitter when it happened. Mm-hmm. And me speaking to you on Twitter caused me to get something like I would say about 30 DMs from other women that I knew saying, do you know Rebecca? And I said, yeah, I do. You know, not well, but yes, I do. And they were like, oh, my God, she's amazing. This, And then I was flooded with it. And that was just from, so God Mm. knows what yours looked like. Did they also just add, by the way, Hannah, your skin is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca, tell people where they can find you and they can find the trowel. They can find me at Bex Humps on Twitter and Instagram. And the trowel is thetrowel.co.uk. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank oh, it's you. been a pleasure. Hey there, you lot. If you want to follow every aspect of our lives on social media, and why wouldn't you, because you're only human, you can! We're on Twitter as a team at Standard Issue UK or individually on at Inspiragen, at That Dunleavy and at Mixter Noonan. And I'd like to think it'll be fairly obvious who's who. We're on Facebook as well at Standard Issue Magazine and even Instagram at Standard Issue Podcast. Come to us. Look at our faces. Hi, Hannah here. I am joined on the phone by comedian and political know-it-all. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? (laughs) Kate McCabe. Hello, Kate. Thanks for joining us. Hi, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we're here to talk about the Democratic primary, although there aren't enough hours in the day because there are 26 candidates in the Democratic primary. Oh, yeah. I mean... There's more Democratic candidates than there are people living on some Pacific islands. <laughs> so. so just to be clear, for anyone who might not get this, this is an election where people are going to pick who it is that runs against Donald Trump in That's November right. 2020. So although it's still a way off, this is pretty much going to take up all political news for about the next year, isn't it, in America, of who will be standing against him? Yes, it's a you know a strange cycle to be in. I remember three years ago, when the Republican candidates were all sort of lining up and revealing themselves. And and I just remember that parade, that conga line, kind of getting bigger and bigger and thinking, oh, this is a ridiculous circus that they've got going on. Well, there there were 17 of them. And at the time, we were like, 17, are you joking? Exactly. We've now got 26 to choose from. So tell me, is 26 people too many people? Or is it a good idea to have that wider choice? I suppose on the one hand, selection is important. America is a capitalist country, right? It says anyone can do anything and survival of the fittest is how capitalist democracy should work. However, being realistic about it, I feel that many candidates is ridiculous. There's only so many hours of the day. There's only so many hours within a news cycle where you can hone in on actually who the candidates are. And that's why I feel most cycles are honing in on the front runners. You know, we we aren't going to hear much about sort of the fringe candidates, I don't think. Okay, so that's interesting because one of my first points that I wanted to make about this is if you want diversity, then maybe you do need 26 people because in this race we have six women. I know six out of 26 isn't that many, but in terms of primaries, it certainly is. 
it's, it's historic as far as American politics go. We have four or five people from ethnic minorities. We also have the Democratic primary's first openly gay man. Mm-hmm. However, what we're reading is a lot about two white guys in their 70s, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders are two of the the main frontrunners still. Joe Biden still has a fairly wide lead. And I believe partially that is recognition factor. And this is why maybe 26 candidates is not useful, because how much recognition factor can any one candidate get when there are 26 of them? The good news is some of the other people at the front of the parade there are from those minority groups. So you do have Kamala Harris getting attention and Cory Booker and and, um, Elizabeth Warren getting some attention. Also, Pete Buttigieg, I think. Do you know what? I did actually just watch him being interviewed by Rachel Maddow just so I could get the pronunciation because I have been calling him Butter Geek. I I didn't think that was right. Buttigieg is apparently what it is. Buttigieg, okay. Uh, I'm sure we'll all get used to saying it just as any recognition factor comes into play. But I I, am glad that some of the minorities are in the front runner category, but it is the two leading ones are, as you said, Biden and Sanders at this point. Because it seems to me, and obviously, you know, British people, we're currently being offered the choice of Boris Johnson or Jeremy Hunt. I mean... (laughs) Uh, I'm certainly jealous of the wide variety of choice you have going on over there. Well, and interestingly, you don't really have a choice, do you? No, 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 no. But but however, I think there are a number of really good candidates in here. But given what's going on in America at the moment, certainly with women's rights, America needs a woman in charge like never before. Absolutely. I I was, oh God, I was having a conversation at at one of my jobs yesterday. We were talking about the primaries and Sanders there and Biden. And I I said to them, I was like, if an old white man wins this, if a woman does not become our next president, I am going full Eileen Wuornos. (laughs) I was only partially joking, (laughs) only partially. I think I kind of will lose my mind a little bit because it's just time. It's, it's time. And I think every time an argument comes up about, again, that mirrors 2016, about a woman's likability, about whether or not she's experienced enough, whether or not men and some women will vote for her, it drives me crazy. Uh, One of the good things about Elizabeth Warren is that she is pulling the strongest with our most loyal and some would argue most important Democratic base, and that's women of color. Biden is not polling well with women of color. Sanders is not poll particularly well with women of color but warren is uh leading in that demographic so that's kind of nice i like her she doesn't have an absolutely sparkling personality but frankly i don't think you should have to not everyone can be obama yeah but i think she's got an awful lot going for her she has been on donald trump's case since he arrived and therefore she has the battle scars or whatever you might want to call it. And so hopefully she is building up some, even if it is a grudging respect. That said, I still seeing a lot of people say, I've got nothing against a woman in power, but I just don't like Elizabeth Warren. You think, oh. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I suppose my main concern is with these 26 candidates, with my my preferred candidates, you know, I, I think for me, Warren is is my personal front runner. But as someone who is concerned for the direction of the country in a way 
that is bigger than any one person, I'll vote for who the Democratic candidate is. There is no one in that parade of 26 people who wouldn't be better than Donald Trump in, yeah. in that post. And, and that's all people need to know. You know, it's OK to have little scraps right now, but let's also not draw too much blood with each other. Because this shouldn't be about dividing into smaller segments and forgetting what the greater cause is. Well, OK, let's go to that, because arguably, I mean, if you take aside Russian interference and all of that stuff, arguably mm. a lot of what did for Hillary Clinton was angry Bernie Sanders voters. Yes, not I mean, I for her. Absolutely. I was looking at some commentary today that compared Bernie Sanders supporters to Trump supporters. There's nobody and there's nothing that will turn them away from Sanders. And that we saw that in the 2016 election. And I think we will continue to see it, perhaps not in the same way, because that was a, a certain kind of uh, yeah. <laughs> result of very, very specific interferences. But I do think that Bernie Sanders supporters are uh, kind of Trumpian in a way, in that like there is a kind of hero worship of that candidate. And I, I won't hero worship any candidate. I think Warren is the person for me. And she has been constant in what her platform has been since she's been a senator. You know, she's always been pro-regulation, anti-financial corruption, supporting the middle class, and I think also very, very pro-Medicare for all. And so I think she's been constant. I think she stands for what a lot of people know to be the right direction for the country. I hope that as a voting population, we're growing past the sort of like, oh, yeah, but she claimed to have Native American heritage or, or oh, but I wouldn't want to have a beer with her or but she's yeah. a, a Lisa Simpson kind of snob. It's, it's about whether or not that person would be good in the job. Kate, no. can you just give me one second? Because if you can believe it, <laughs> there's a massive American fighter plane just about to fly over my house. Because <laughs> 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 I live right oh, near uh, Lake and Heath. Did Trump get a hold of um, <laughs> Trump got a hold of your social media when you were visiting, didn't he? Sorry to interrupt you. That was just too poetic, though. <laughs> I mean, yes, I agree with you on everything on Warren. I also like Kamala Harris. I think she, mm -hmm. she has charisma. I think she certainly seems a more, um, like you say, someone you would go for a pint with. Not that any of that matters. But I yeah. also have to say, much as I'd love to see a woman in charge, I've got a lot of time for Pete Buttigieg from what I've seen of him. For a start, he's young and he would be the youngest ever president. I mean, he's still in his 30s. And I feel that for issues around things like climate change and gun control, actually having someone who has an investment in the future, as in he's likely to be still alive when a lot of mm. problems happen, and someone who actually grew up in that culture of, of school shootings, yeah. it would be an incredible thing for, um, for America to have. As a gay woman yourself, does how exciting does the idea of having a gay president sound, or uh, is is that not that important? Huh, this this is weird, but I have not thought of him as a not a legitimate. That's the wrong word. I have not thought of him as a potentially winning candidate yet. I feel that the fact that he's gay doesn't necessarily make me want to vote for him anymore, which is probably a good thing. You know, I, you shouldn't just vote yeah. for the gay one. I mean, if you uh, voted just for the gay one, uh, you know, what's his name? P. 
Peter Thiel could be president. So, you know, it's, it's the gay one isn't necessarily the best candidate. Um, I think he is a little bit more of a centrist than, than some of the other candidates. And so there might be an appeal there and that could sort of help him be more of a feasible candidate. But I also kind of feel like, hey, I don't know. You've only been a mayor so far. Maybe have more political experience before running for president. But that is maybe something that other people have gotten away with in the past, and, and I'm not holding them to the same standard. I mean, Barack Obama had, I think, slightly more political experience in the kind of different jobs that he held before he ran for president. But one of the points of criticism for him was still that he was newer to sort of like the upper echelons of political power because he'd been like a community organizer and things before. Yeah. Uh, and he was he was, in my personal opinion, one of our best presidents ever. So, uh, you know, that this could be sort of a bum uh, point of criticism. What do you think it's going to take? Because there's, there's two questions here, isn't there? It's who would you like to see win? And who can beat Trump? Who can <sighs> beat Trump? This is what you've hit is the actual crux of the problem. I want Warren to win. In my heart, I, I hope that she would have what it takes to win. I would vote for her. But the, the, the actual question of who would win is about assessing how other people yeah. vote. And that is why Biden's in the lead right now. Because that's who people think would win. He has the recognition factor. He's a vice president under a still kind of uh, beloved and fondly remembered presidential ticket. And I understand uh, it's crazy, but there's still, you know, there's still misogyny in this world, which is just so nuts. Yeah, uh, I've heard I've heard about it a lot. Uh, <laughs> and misogyny isn't just men who don't vote for Elizabeth Warren. Misogyny exists in female voters as well that, you know, have self-doubt and or anger about other women and their success or that wish to please men by supporting men. You know, it, it exists for a lot of reasons in the female of the species as well. So we have a lot to fight for, but I'd love it if Warren was the answer to both of those questions. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think it's probably worth mentioning with Biden is that the reason that we're in this situation or largely the reason we're in this situation in the first place is that Biden was prevented from running last time because his son died and he just yeah. said, I just don't have it in me to campaign for to president. Run. The thing about a Trump-Biden race would be that they both have a sort of lack of polish that people seem to like. Yeah. So, you know, Trump's camp relishes the fact that he just says what he want to say. Biden, look, it's, you know, Uncle Joe, right? Yeah. Because, like, could Trump attack that kind of person? Could Trump attack someone that has a similar streak of unprofessionalism in their man? Like, you can't. For instance, a liberal person might attack Biden for not being the best or the the best apology for the Anita Hill stuff or yeah. for, you know, putting his arm around a woman's waist for a picture or something like that. But yeah, but Trump can't come at him for that. You know, so I don't know. I don't know if maybe Biden in, in, in at least this one respect is sort of like a distorted funhouse mirror version that that would befuddle or bamboozle Trump. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting. This Friday, when we had over here, we had Mark Field gripping a protester by the neck. Those stories mm -hmm. about Boris Johnson. And then I saw Clara Jeffery uh, from Mother Jones tweet a photograph of Donald Trump 
with some other people in it and say, every woman in this photograph has accused Donald Trump of rape. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that's just staggering. It's just, where are we? I find it amazing that women are still being disbelieved and that our voices are always second best to whatever a man has to say. And, and, and that's even within our own movements sometimes. It is distressing. And I think women are strong. You know, we'll keep fighting and there will be a female president and it will be soon because I don't I think women have had enough. I wish that were true, Kate. I'm going to leave it on that really positive note. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it is my pleasure always. Hello, Hannah here. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. Welcome to Jenny off the blocks, that time of the week where we kick and indeed throw some balls at the patriarchy as we discuss all things women's sport. And I agree that was a particularly weak one, so I I apologise for that. There's a lot going on this week. Wimbledon started, so that's lovely. The Football World Cup is coming to an end, which is, you know, less lovely, but all good things must end. And next week, the Netball World Cup begins. I'm recording this on Tuesday afternoon as I anxiously await tonight's semi-final between England and the USA in the Women's World Cup. The football one, that is. And I think it could go either way, to be honest. Unpopular opinion... I haven't been blown away by any of the England matches I've seen in the tournament, to be honest. I did miss the quarterfinal because I was on a plane in it. Um, Then again, I've only seen one match that the USA's played and that was against Thailand. And as much as they did score 13 goals against them, Thailand also did play the worst football I've ever seen in life and I support China Athletics, so... Looking at the score lines of the other matches that the US have played and against teams that I probably know a little bit more about or I've seen more of in the tournament, I'd say it's, well, it's wide open really, but I'm English and I can't emotionally invest in football. So I hope very much by the time that you hear this that we will have made the final on Sunday. That would be excellent and I, I very much want that, but I suspect we will not have. But you're hearing this on Wednesday, so, you know, you can laugh at me if I'm wrong or, you know, hail me as some sort of oracle. You're welcome. And though with one hand he taketh away, with the other he giveth the Netball World Cup, which is in Liverpool and gets underway next week. I caught up with netball legend Sarah Bayman back in May, and here's what she had to say about it all. I'm joined by Sarah Bayman, former England netball player and Loughborough Lightning coach. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you. You're welcome. So we've got the Netball World Cup coming up this summer, the 12th to 21st of July, and it's in Liverpool. England have never won it previously, but last time you came in third place, bronze, and the time before that, in fact, and you've been in the top four since the start of the tournament in 1963. How frustrating is that and how do we feel about this tournament? It's massively frustrating to be honest but I think 
with England winning Commonwealth Games gold last year, the first time they've ever done that, the first time we've got out of a bronze medal match and into a gold medal match. The expectations are really high, especially for a home World Cup. And so hopefully England will, will be able to make it to the final. But, you know, history goes against them and the Australians have got a score to settle and it'll be a really, really entertaining tournament, I think. The expectations are going to be really, really high compared to last time. Do you think that is something that is a help or a hindrance? Can they use that to their advantage? I think you've got to try to use it as to your advantage. I think they could potentially just use a, a sort of siege mentality where you know everyone, everyone wants to beat them in the backyard and it's a home World Cup for them. But on the flip side of that, the support is going to be huge. Um, everyone in Liverpool is, is going to be cheering for the home nations. And they do have a weight of expectation, but I, I think they're good enough to deal with it. Next year, we have also got, we're talking about sort of exciting things in women's sport to look out for, obviously the Olympics, and famously netball is not included in the Olympics. What are your thoughts on that? It's a weird one. I think the argument now is because, you know, men don't compete at the elite level at netball, but... I think it's a shame, you know. I think for, for minority sports, the Olympics is it. And for netball, the Olympics would be the, the biggest competition in the sport. So it, it is a real shame. And the, there's been kind of people lobbying for it for a long time. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen any time soon. So I think if it's not going to happen, the next best thing is to get it more professional in this country and make our league really strong and so that everyone can, can see high-quality netball on the TV week in, week out and, and keep it in people's minds that way. What would it have meant to you growing up as an athlete to see netball on the TV? Massive. I, I, I think it would have been huge. I, I, I don't think I ever saw a game of netball on TV until I was in the team. So I, I think it... It's a massive step for the sport, and I think the fact that it's on BBC... I, I remember watching Sue Barker and people present on, t- on BBC, and the thought that, that netball could be on that channel would never have crossed my mind. So I think that the visibility of it this year is going to be massive. I think if, we, if England can do well in this tournament and really ride the wave of having a home World Cup, that it, it could has the potential to take netball to the next level in this country. It's the summer of women's sport. Uh, there's loads of other things happening. What are you looking forward to seeing other than the netball world cup i'm such a sports nut i actually like love to watch anything i'm, I'm really excited for the women's world cup um i was looking at the vt of the france kit just like oh actually that's really nice maybe i should maybe i should buy a football kit for the first time in 25 years so i'm really excited for the women's world cup i'm also really excited for the athletics because i mean that's like when summer's here isn't it you know it's, you know it's summer when you see athletics on the tv and i think the fact that we are so competitive at the minute especially on the women's side of things in in all these sports that it's exciting because you're watching expecting us to win which isn't always the norm (laughs) especially not for uh, yeah not not for English people I guess or or British people we're really really strong in team sports in England particularly but Britain UK why do you think we excel in women's sports it's hard to know I think part of it is because possibly because we are so aware of the need to do well in order to increase the coverage. And so I think that the, the team sports in, in the UK have always been, they've always been very together and it's always been a, a singular mission, you know. In order to get anything, we're going to have to win. And so that, that's been the aim. And there's a real unity, I think, in, in the team sports. And I think it started with the hockey girls in 2012 that you saw them. They were such a close group. 
and I think other other team sports looked at that and went actually that that's what we need we need more than just training well and playing well we, we need to actually like each other and learn to learn to kind of come together as a group so when when times get hard you know we've got each other's back and I think netball's done that it, it, it appears from the outside like football football is doing that and cricket as well so I think that's a sort of one percenter that people don't really think about in team sport but it actually makes a huge difference when it comes to the really tight matches thank you so much for joining us oh, you're welcome thank you Welcome to Dunleavy Does Dystopia. Dunleavy, what vision of a future hell did we watch this week? This week we watched, and it's just you and me this week because Jenna's been on holiday. Shut up, she's right there, stop it. <laughs> we watched 2006's Children of Men. Which we did. is based on a P.D. James book, The Children of Men. It's written in the late 90s and you can't help but think it was in some way inspired by The Handmaid's Tale made into a film which is it's slightly different from the book it has been changed directed by Alfonso Cuaron who is probably best known for Gravity and Roma which was nominated for a lot of Oscars this year didn't it win some Oscars this I, year? I believe it did but also two of his early films are absolutely great The Little Princess which I think is like early 90s which has Liam Cunningham in it as an adaptation of the Francis Hodgson Burnett book the Little Princess. Have you ever seen it? I have not seen that. That's fucking great. And then also Mexican homoerotic wonder, E2 Mama Tambian. I have seen that. Yeah, of course and you have. I think that description is bang on, uh, bang on the button. Yeah. That's where I'm, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Did leave me with a lifelong obsession with Gail Garcia Bernal, I have to say. That's why I love Coco so much, yeah. harking back to a Dunleavy Does Disney. Yeah, it's got great cast this. Clive Owen, Michael Caine, Julianne Moore, Chibatel, Ejafor. Pam Ferris, Peter Mullen, Danny Houston. It has been, or it was, put on a list when uh, I think something like 170 leading film critics were surveyed what they thought the best film of the 21st century so far was. And this came in at number 13. Wowzers. That's impressive. Yeah. So when are we? We are in 2027. So, you know... The distant future, the yeah, not too distant. The not too future. distant future when the world has gone to total shit. Sorry, did you say the not too distant? Not now. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough. And the particular problem in this world is that, again, a bit like The Handmaid's Tale, is that no children have been born for 18 years. In fact, the film opens with the news that the youngest person in the world, who is 18 and two months and three days or something, has died. And our lead character, Theo, who is played by Clive Owen, is asked to organise some travel papers to help a refugee played by Claire Hope Ashiti. Are we nearly there yet? (sighs) Yeah, I don't know. Can I just point out that the whole humanity is barren trope, which is what is going throughout this, or plotline, sorry, which is going throughout this, is put down in the film to women. It says women aren't getting pregnant anymore. And in the book, it's men, it's men. Their sperm isn't doing the yeah. dance that it needs to. Like. He he did talk about he's done a lot of interviews about this film Coron and he did talk about why he changed it and have to say it didn't feel like it had been changed for reasons that it was like to blame women. It's a crazy interesting premise. The idea that uh, it's a pretty quick, clear question and I think it's interesting for now is that we seem to be at a point now where everybody's really really concerned about their legacy and you find the expression. 
you know, the wrong side of history used all the time. And this film basically puts the question out there that if, if this is the end and if you're not going to be judged by the future, would it affect the way that you behaved in the present? Yes. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, you, you yes. kind of assume that it would. If you're not leaving the world to be a better place for anyone, that it doesn't need to be a better place, does it? No. Oh, is that what the Tories are doing? <laughs> Interesting question, right? It's dystopian, not in a futuristic sense. So I'm not going to ask you about technology as such because well, it's... apart from the guy who's got the things on his fingers, when he goes to see Danny Houston um, yeah. and the guys who've got the things on the his fingers... The Battersea Power yeah, Station. With a nice Pink Floyd tribute in the background... There's not. I mean, even the cars they drive just look like cars that someone would drive now. There doesn't seem to have been any great technological advances, although we largely only spend our time with refugees, poor people, that kind of thing. Well, that's it. All of the refugees, or the Fujis, as they're called, are kept in massive cages and these huge camps, and that feels incredibly now, scarily now, particularly as we've just had that horrific photo doing the rounds of that young man and his daughter drowning trying to get into america trying to find refuge i felt this this film by the end of it i I, every part of me was tensed up it's an incredibly tense film it's brilliant but it's so tense and it just i think that tension comes from it feeling so very real so very possible absolutely this is absolutely categorically the best film we've watched so far doing this it's gen- I've had actually seen it before and I, I got, I've got a thing about Clive Owen and I couldn't watch it for a long time and then some people persuaded me that I should just watch it because it's a really good film and, and I did and I thought yeah it is actually good but I think having now watched it again having got over my fear of Clive Owen I was able to watch it and think actually fuck me this is brilliant I've got to say as well he's this sort of hard bitten not really hard working guy who doesn't want to be involved anymore. He used to be he used to be a, an anarchist and now he's not bothered. He's kind of the hero that world deserves. Yeah. And he pulls his finger out. Oh, oh, it's funny saying pulling your finger. <laughs> uh, oh always... yeah, Hannah's in this by the way. Everyone. I am. I, 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 there's absolutely no two ways about it. If the world goes to shit, I'm going to become Michael Caine in this film if I'm not halfway there already. I'm going to be the person who's left looking after all the old people and just smoking myself to death. She's already started insisting I call her Jasper. (laughs) (laughs) Pull my finger. No. (laughs) I think the reason that it doesn't look dated and the reason that it stands the test of time, or certainly one of them, one is just how real it feels, which is very unnerving, but the other is because they haven't done any future stuff, which obviously almost immediately goes out of date. Yeah, that does actually contrast with how technologically great or or technically great this film is there are three scenes in here which are continuous tracking shots that are incredible and apparently they're not continuous they were shot in or they were all shot in single takes but they've actually managed to meld the best bits of each take into each other so they were all done in single takes but then then the end result isn't a single take. Then collaged. Collaged in. So, yes, uh, the first one is when their car is hijacked, which, I mean, where's the camera crew in that? Answer to the question, they're on the roof of that car. Yeah. Which is incredible. And those tracking shots only serve to put you even more in the heart of this reality. Yeah. The second one is when Theo delivers a baby because this becomes the, the, the point 
Key, the woman he's asked to arrange travel permits for, is actually pregnant. She's up the duff. Yeah. For the first time in 18 and a bit years, a woman's up the duff. Yeah. It's at that point the film kind of picks up this odd sort of biblical quality to it. There's a way that when she takes her clothes off to show him that she's pregnant, because I think the point is she has to, because I don't actually think he would have genuinely believed it if she hadn't. The way that he looks at her is just, like, not enough. There's no lust. There's no nothing. There's just, like, fucking hell. He cannot believe it. When Peter Mullen sees that baby the first time, what what he says is, Jesus Christ. Clive Owen says that in the stable when he sees yeah. her. Yeah, and Peter Mullen says it when he first sees the baby too. Jesus yeah, well, Christ. When they set up for Clive Owen to be told, yeah. for Theo to find out that Key is pregnant, they're in a stable. Yeah, they There's are. a cow and his first words are Jesus Christ. But P.D. James was into all that religious stuff. Yeah, well, it also, I mean, it's a, it's a subplot that's kind of it appears in this but it's played down it's religion well it's interesting because after I read The Handmaid's Tale when I was about 16 or 17 I became completely obsessed slash terrified by the idea that that's that was the thing everyone was worried about loads of other stuff and that was the thing that I thought it's going to be the religious right that, that take us over and at the moment that feels kind of right and they've all split into different factions yeah. a bit like the the Judeans people front yeah. and the people's front of Judea. Yeah. But it's interesting because I actually, I think the the female characters in this are all really quite strong, forceful women. The only person that gets any kind of exposition, as in the only time it's ever really explained to us what's happened, is when Pam Ferris's character, who was a midwife, explains about how she looked in a book and there was no babies and she didn't understand what was happening. And she rang a friend and there was no babies, and they rang Australia, and there was no babies. That speech is incredible. It is. Mm. And so I think this film like the, treats its women really well. I think Julianne Moore gets fridged. She does. I think. But the question of, of what role women play in society when they no longer play the role of producing children is interesting. What role do they play? The ones we meet are freedom fighters. Mm. And then there are quite a lot of women crying about the death of the 18-year-old. But what other women do we see? The woman who runs the uh, the bed and breakfast in Bex Hill, as it were, with oh. the dog. Yeah. What's she called? Mikhail? No. Mika. 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 Something like I mean, that. She has balls of steel. She's incredible. She really is. Um, but yes, which leads me to the other tracking shot. The last one is the one in which she is taken and he has to go and find her. It's not done in a, he has to go and find her, like, you know, he's saving her. She is literally holding the last hope of humanity in her hands when she's taken. Yeah. And that whole thing is incredible. I think it's something like seven and a half minutes long. And what's most incredible about it is, A, the sheer volume of people that are in it. And you stay with Clive Owen the whole time. The fact that it has animals in it, including a dog, which is carried around. And it's a real dog for about the first three minutes of it. His little paws are flapping. He behaves himself like nobody's business. And that there's a baby in it at the end. There is a newborn baby. That is an actual baby as well. That's not an animatronic baby. So it's incredible that they pulled that off. Absolutely incredible. And you'll probably notice the fake, well, the blood on the camera lens, which is incredible. But apparently Quaron was really annoyed by it, but then was convinced that actually it worked. And it is. It, it's another one of those little details that mm. thrust you right into the action. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's shot like a documentary. Yeah, I can't say enough good stuff about this film. I 
genuinely think it's brilliant. It deserves to be on a list of the best films of the 21st century, undoubted. Can we just talk a little bit about hope? Yes. Because obviously Key and the various names that she gives the little one who I'm not going to I'm not going to spoiler it what she decides on is supposed to be this sort of fuzzy emblem of hope we don't get much of her background she's very vague when she's asked questions about who the father is and how it all happened or what she's planning to do so she's supposed to be hope and hope is that ephemeral we can't grasp it and I get that but I don't know that bringing a kid into that world made me feel hopeful. Well, I did think, I mean, because they get the, the, the point is they're supposed to go to a boat and they're supposed to, and the, the, there might be floating hope out there. The Humanity Project, who yeah. are researching why reproduction has stopped. But there may be other children on that boat. You don't, you don't know that. But I thought, oh my God, can you imagine if that kid was born and then, and then was the last person on earth? That's what that kid would become, wouldn't it? If yeah. there was no other children, it would become the last person on earth and that would be horrifying so is it hope you're you're absolutely right is it it is a relentlessly bleak but brilliant film i think michael kane who based jasper apparently on john lennon is supposed to be the light touch and he is he's very good Pull he, my finger. It, but even that it just feels it feels a little bit out of place well he has a, a an, an unexpectedly comic death for for a death that could be really brutal it does actually have kind of it comes with a punchline which is weird yeah yeah it all sounds very bleak but seriously it's fucking amazing you should watch it it's (laughs) really great which takes us neatly on to how many arnie's well arnie governor of california arnie i think i've got this system now which means is it a good film yes it is yeah five absolutely yeah agreed what about, no, get to the chopper. Well, I mean, it's difficult to say, ask me in 2027 whether I think the world's going to look like that. But I would say it wouldn't surprise me. <sighs> I it feel really, it's a four. It I... really wouldn't surprise me, yeah. Four sounds about right. I mean, obviously, because the kid who died was 18 and a bit, we're past that particular yeah. time threshold, that date threshold. But so much of it. I mean, when it came out 13 years ago, I imagine it looked quite prescient. But now, just that grimy reality feels like it's it, it's actual reality in a lot of the world. Yeah. What are we going to watch next week? What should we watch next week? Oh, nothing's going to be as good as this now, is it? Um, okay, I think we've missed him. I'm missing him. <laughs> Despite my absolutely bob-on impression every single week, and I need some more Arnie in my life. Can we watch Terminator 2? Yeah, why not? Judgment Day. I've never seen it. Pull my finger. Standard issue for all women.